Hello and welcome to another Architecture Podcast. I'm George Bradley, architect and director of London-based studio Bradley van der Straten. And every fortnight, I talk to a different architect from around the world to discuss an inspiring house that they have designed. In this episode, I talk to the architect Matt Barnes, founder of London studio Can Architecture. We talk about the home he has designed for himself and his family, Mountain View. It is a renovation and extension of an Edwardian terrace house. Like many renovated houses of this type, it has been extended at the rear with lightweight glass doors opening onto the garden. But, inspired by seeing pictures of a Disneyland mountain roller coaster in construction, he has topped it with his very own expanded aluminium mountain. In the episode, we talk about this and the many other original and inspiring features of the house and about the various other influences that went into the design. If you'd like to find out more about Mountain View, you can see images of the house on the episode page at anotherarchitecturepodcast.com. I hope you enjoy listening. Hello, Matt. Thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm very excited to um, to get to talk to you about your latest project, Mountain View, that's going to be the main feature of this episode. Um, but what I found interesting about it is, I think probably a lot of people like me, this this in the UK definitely, there's the project's garnered quite a lot of attention and quite quickly. But I think a lot of people maybe listening as well that know the project wouldn't have known you before this project. Um, so where have you been? Um trying to do projects like this i guess um <laughs> I, I i've only set up only set up can about uh, in 2016 so we've been we've do, working on small scale project mainly sort of like art installations and uh we did an artist studio um and then mainly sort of private residential stuff um but this is kind of our first bigger project i guess you'd call it and have have you done much residential work then before this project? Um, in my previous uh, jobs at other practices, I did quite, I worked in private residential for about ten years, something like that. Uh, yeah. Really, since I graduated. Um, and if you could like set the scene, maybe for the house of just because I know it's this is at your house. It's it's where you're recording from today as well for the interview. Um, but it's a house view. Where is it located, and what's the sort of story behind maybe how long you've lived there, and and what the precursor was to then doing this renovation? Uh, so the house is in southeast London, uh, near Sydenham, uh, sort of Sydenham Penge borders, uh, which is probably about about forty minutes on a train to the centre. Um, we were living in Broccoli before, which is also in the southeast of London and we were sort of looking for a house but not really and then um a friend my wife's friend parents live next door to this house and they said oh this there's this house um which has been derelict for about six years nobody's lived there and it's been inherited by someone who lives in Poland and they want to get rid of it but they don't want to put it on the market so just make her offer make her an offer and 
see if she accepts. So we just made an offer that we could afford, which was, was well below market value, uh, but it was all we could really afford. And she just accepted it straight away and we bought it. It's kind of one of the, those uh, lucky stories that you hear, but you never think it's going to happen to you. And we weren't really, we we were thinking about we our next house would be uh, mid-century a uh, sort of 60s house which is what we were living in at the time just because it afforded more space for less money and uh typically they're sort of lighter more windows and uh square floor plans whereas this age of house which is edwardian is more typically longer and darker in the center but because it's a semi-detached house we have got the side flank which is open for putting windows in as well so it was a too good an opportunity to take up really uh, i'm interested in these friends then that recommended you putting an offer in to buy this house did they know at the time that you'd be moving in and then building a mountain next door <laughs> uh definitely not um <laughs> they so they this is my wife's friend's parents and they when i when we so before we put in for planning we obviously we did a neighborly thing and talked to both sets of neighbors and showed them the drawings and they were uh i don't the shocked wasn't the word but they were a bit like <laughs> oh <laughs> what's that um <laughs> when i said it was a mountain i think it's such a such a a random thing to say that they just said oh, okay <laughs> and that was that and to be honest they they've embraced it and haven't they haven't publicly or told me to my face that they hate it so happy days and so this mountain idea like i've described a little bit in the intro about this the project and this concept of um of this mountain landscape what where did this idea first come from because it's i've never seen anything like it designed on a house um it to be honest it was it was a bit of a well it's uh, well it's it was a bit of a random one as everything else is a bit random in this house but and i kind of see the house as kind of like a collection of instead of having one overarching concept more of like a collection of different ideas uh all brought together mostly clashing with each other um so the mountain i was working on a a exhibition installation at the john Soane museum at the time when we were thinking about what what this extension could look like and the artist i was working with was like really into rocks and like rock collections and we were looking at how how we how we could design a house that was in a boulder and um i was also saw these amazing um pictures of the disneyland matterhorn mountain which is like a bobsled ride but in construction and it's so it's this like super realistic looking mountain um but during construction like it's, it's got this like internal steel frame which is quite skeletal and the way they built it they built it from the bottom up in steel and then they built the fake mountain down so that like midway through construction you've got these this amazing steel structure underneath and then this like super realistic mountain on the top and i thought that's kind of perfect for the the back of the house and i was also trying to uh, express the structure in a way that make the structure seem as fragile or thin as possible um and then how 
and then I was obviously we ended up with this like flat roof above it and I was thinking how can we emphasize that this is a really heavy roof um so then it, then the mountain idea came and then this obviously got a bit tongue in cheeks like what's the biggest what's the heaviest thing you can think about and it was a mountain <laughs> so I put a mountain on there and and formally it kind of worked uh with the back of the house so it wasn't just a uh, we picked the bright profile to match the sort of, uh, you know, the composition on the back. And it's a bit more Everest than it is Matterhorn, I'd say, isn't it, in terms of yeah, yeah. profile? I think we, well, we based it on a, on the Annapurna uh, fishtail mount, mountain in the Annapurna right. range in Nepal, um, which is a mountain that me and a friend went climbed to base camp at one point. But I've been trying to avoid. It's not. It's not about me finding myself in Nepal. It's, <laughs> I'm trying to just like avoid that. Uh, so it's, it's it's all about the, the profile. Just matched what we're trying to achieve here. We're going to go into the house definitely in more depth because I mean, there's there's definitely a lot more to this than just the mountain at, at the back. And uh, and like I like to do on these episodes, it's nice to kind of walk through and, and kind of ask you about various ideas in here. But. I'm still going to stick with the mountain theme because it's not every day that you get a house that somebody's been inspired by a Disneyland roller coaster. <laughs> but there, there's there are other features in this house that that sort of pick up on mountains, just in terms of the artwork that's in the house and in some of the structural poles as well that kind of make reference to to um, kind of ordnance survey type measuring poles or sort of ski snow poles and things like that. It, is there a mountain obsession going on here that was a kind of something that had to be expressed architecturally at some point in your life uh i don't know i think it was it wasn't something i thought about before designing the house to be honest it was it was just all of the ideas came as a reaction to what the house was like before and my current ideas and thinking at, at the time like uh like the sir john Soane's mm-hmm. museum project and i think it's also tangentially my wife studied geography uh, in, in university so i kind of trying to li- trying to, try to reference that a bit or it, and it the mountain kind of came first and then sort of like the ideas of uh how to record the landscape came with the with the poles and we've got these little these little randomly placed uh encaustic uh, su- uh, survey tiles which are like dotted across the terrazzo floor Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess the other landscapey elements are the sort of cave-like concrete wall, textured wall, and then we and we try to um, reflect like a, a lake-style dining table, which we made as well. So very kind of strong conceptual driver for the whole of the house being picked up across across the board, and even the little details and in the furniture as well. Did you find was that? I know sometimes I find designers definitely with me as well with projects that having something like that helps to have a vehicle to then give structure to decision making. Was that the case? Yeah, here, definitely. Think? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It definitely gives. Uh, I mean, you always got. It's always about how do you then explain to someone once you've done it. How do you explain to someone why you've why you've done that? And I think mm. it's always nice to have, although they're quite loose themes, and it, and you may, you may not pick them up unless um you were told about them it's nice to have loose themes running through the the project for sure um and also i mean i've read in in 
in some articles that you've done as well that part of the benefit of the project or what you found helpful was that there was an urgency because you is am I right in thinking that you as a family were living in this house when the work was happening well no so we no we actually bought the house in August 2019 and it was total dereliction there was like one there wasn't even a highly hot water there was uh or heating but we had to live in it for three months and it was which is with a one and a half year old which is a bit of a nightmare Mm. (laughs) um we lived in it for three months till until the january when we started works but then we moved out for that because it was a total refurb and um gutting of the whole place there's no way we could have stayed there's quite a funny story that when during the three months that we were living in here before we moved out i answered the door to a pizza delivery person and then i slammed the door and the hallway ceiling fell in (laughs) all of the all of the plaster and lath fell in and then he knocked back on the door just to check i was still alive (laughs) (laughs) yeah so at that point we thought we definitely gotta move out this is a health and safety nightmare did the pizza survive yeah the pizza was still still warm when we ate it so that's good (laughs) that's the important thing um well well, you've sort of helped me then segue very nicely into um, maybe starting at the entrance of the house and maybe if we kind of move through and just talk about some of the spaces. Um, but first of all, yeah, draw our attention away from the mountain at the back and the kind of the key kind of image of this project that definitely drew me to it to start with. Um, but it's a, it is a whole house renovation. And maybe if you could talk a little bit about um, about how you designed the entrance to this house and what was important to you in that sense. Is it is this a kind of secretive house that explodes when you get to the back garden, but you would you wouldn't just wouldn't know was there from the street? Yes. Yeah, so from the street, we tried to not piss the neighbours off as much as we were, maybe could have on the back. So mm-hmm. with the 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 house is very traditional. You know, we, we there was horrible casement windows in the in the front originally so we replaced them with timber sash and we kept very traditional on the front and then the the front door is original and then as soon as you get through the front door everything kind of changes so we've gone for these sort of like white mosaic um very reflective tiles in the hallway and then the original hallway kind of got a kink in it. So as you get towards the uh, walk towards the back of the house, it kinks um, out, out and gets wider. Mm. So we kept that kink. And then we, for the, for the next bit entering into the kitchen, we int- introduce another kink at the same angle. So you've got this like progressive opening up as you get down into the kitchen and the other sort of opening up, big move we did is that the the whole site slopes from the front to the back um quite dramatically it's probably about a two meter level change from the front of the house to the back uh oh the back garden and where originally you only stepped down one step in the hallway um we i took the floorboards out when we first got the house at the back and we there was about a meter underneath the floorboards until we got to the footings so we could actually lower the floor at the back by three steps so probably about 600 uh mil to a meter uh finished floor level and Mm. then that 
gives us amazing the head height. I think it's like three point seven in the kitchen, and then we then have got a better connection to the garden, so we're not stepping down so much as we get to the back. And you mentioned about this being like a progression. So when you first come through the door, it gradually kind of opens up more and more. Is that a design move that's important to you? And, and what do you think? What What do you think well, the benefit of that is? I think the well, the, one of the main things which i guess many architects working on private residential aim to do is have uh, this kind of when you walk through the door you get a visual connection to the garden so that was one of the key thing things we tried to do and that's obviously helped if you can open it open up all the way through and we've got these huge three meter by three meter glass doors at the back um which really connects the front of the house to the back and it's kind of by stepping down and opening up and having these, I guess the columns, uh, which are painted red and white, but they 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 alternate. So they kind of lead you through the space and draw you towards the back. Because um, mm-hmm. they, when you look from the hallway, they're not kind of, they're not regular and they kind of almost look, well, like ranging poles. Um, yeah yeah so these steps that are coming down so you've introduced there's like four and they're the mosaic tiles that continue down from the hallway they go into the the main space you've then put um in the mosaic there's a message written on there saying waste not want not um i'm guessing that's going to be referring to then some of the materials that you've used but do you want to sort of describe or explain what the the purpose of the the quote there is well it is kind of i mean i think that's kind of a more of a coincidence the reason we put waste not one night two well there's two reasons that my grandmother always used to say that in the kitchen like relentlessly mm-hmm. and i thought it was quite nice uh, i was always associate that phrase with the kitchen and there's a i collect sort of ceramic pattern plates and the, the, there's cut there's this this is a very niche reference but um my favorite plate is this uh plate by aw pujin uh who did the the architect of the house of parliament and it's, yeah. this is gothic gothic bread plate or gothic revival bread plate which is inscribed with waste not want not on it um amazing sort of typeface and yeah so that they're the two main reasons we did it but then obviously yeah. by using recycled chopping boards and milk bottle tops for the kitchen it kind of lends itself to that as well it's also quite a nice permanent reminder to keep reminding yourself of that that message that your grandmother said yeah um i mean i really like this space where this i didn't know that that where you've angled the wall you've you've created that but it sort of resembles um the part of the existing house but i also really like how the you've kept what looks like you've kept the original stair there the original traditional banister is that is that correct yeah yeah so the timber stair going up is original and we've boxed it out a bit to hide the drainage yeah. from upstairs um and then we've got like a some storage underneath it um but it's it's just like free ornament basically so i thought yeah. there's, there's no but no i do think there's so many it. spaces like this that are, are modernized and things like that get changed when they can just so easily be retained and as you've done here you've kind of painted them in this pale green color that and and then the yellow underside they've suddenly become amazingly sculptural but you'd never look at them in this way if it was 
left in a traditional layout. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we they were in fact when we bought the place, they were all boarded up. They were covered with a you know, as they did in the sort of mid century where they just covered it up with hardboard. So we didn't actually yeah. know they were the whole banister was there until we took it all off and then obviously that runs upstairs so we've got the the banister and balusters upstairs all original and we did the same there by just picking them out in a sort of pastel color yeah um if we then talk because you mentioned then about the ranging poles the these circular very sort of slender circular steel columns that are supporting the roof and the building above um I mean, on these kind of houses, particularly in London, the kind of classic kitchen extension, the typical thing to do, particularly nowadays, is put steel beams in and expose them and, and paint them a, a nice colour, kind of vivid colour. And it's we've seen that in quite a few recent projects. But here you've done something quite different and you've got these the poles that are there as well. And as you said, they're sort of scattered randomly. It's a bit like a, I don't know, like a forest or some, something like that. What are they doing? Is there is there a practical response then here of where they're located and why they're there? Do they do they help from a structural point of view? Yeah. So, well, there's two I, there, there's two sets I would call them. Um, the ones uh, framing the ruined wall are actually not structural. They're not really needed, um, but they so the. The design reference for that was this uh, scene in Train Spotting. I was basically trying to look for how what's the like stereotypical demolished wall, or what what's like showing that it's crumbling. And there's a scene in Train Spotting where, um, in the I've forgotten that guy's name now, but the the dealer the dealer's flat basically, and Hugh McGregor's coming through through the ruined wall section mm. and it's got two acro props and it's got this steel beam above with a ruined wall either side and that kind of it just it's just like the perfect dem, uh, uh, derelict wall so yeah we did we did the ruined walls either side and then it just wasn't looking right it, it, so to frame the view out the back and to frame the walls that we added these two columns in which matched everywhere else um so they're non-structural but then yeah the rest of the columns are structural. So the one, and it was a sort of choice uh, because the one in the kitchen island, we the, the engineer originally proposed um, a a box frame, so sort of a, a channel on yeah. either wall with no column in the middle. But we felt that the column anchored the space and also it was a lot cheaper to do. Instead of, we'd have to have a trench foundation from... Mm -hmm. channel to channel across the whole house and we just needed a, a single pad foundation for this and it kind of it just worked i thought and it's quite nice i think the way it kind of pierces this island it just seems to shoot sort of straight through it right in the middle yeah 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 and it was a bit me and a friend uh built the kitchen and it was a, <laughs> it looks nice but it was a bit of a nightmare to get the get the worktop working around it but yeah it's good in the end so well the kitchen then is it's using smile plastics which is recycled um is it chopping boards this one recycled chopping boards yeah so the the blue is recycled chopping boards and milk bottle tops full fat milk and then the black is chopping boards and like single use plastic packaging and you've used this everywhere i mean smile plastics they've been around for a while i remember first coming across them i was at 
a head raise to get my hair cut and their little counter was this curious thing that I, and they told me it was smile and the backstory and what, what it was and you kind of used to see it a little bit in certain commercial settings I'm not sure I've seen a kitchen fully done in it because here you've used it on the worktop you've used it on the the sides on the cupboard fronts everywhere I don't know is the sink as well is that also made out of the small plastic or is that no the, the sink is just just uh black plastic but not yeah not smile and uh so you you if you built it yourself is it the kind of thing you'd do again or are you kind of like never again <laughs> never again <laughs> i mean the pro- the the product is great um and it was just quite hard to finish so the so it comes um with with like well this particular uh, product comes with uh, saw marks across the face of the sheet and Although that was fine for the doors, we wanted the the worktop to be like super smooth, um, mm-hmm. and but it required sanding through all of the grades. So each each section had to be sanded five times, and then a flame finish with a blowtorch. So it was a bit of a pain, wow. but I'm glad we did it. But I, it's, it's one of those things I wouldn't <laughs> gonna, not going to recommend to a client um, for, yeah. for something like this. I mean, it's great for if you're doing small areas. It's, uh, I mean, that's the common thing. I think that, I mean, that's what's so great about projects like this is, you know, I've done my own house before as well. Um, but it's a chance to kind of experiment and, and try out these things. And often they're kind of quite bold, aren't they? Like a, quite a total decision, like the smile plastics here. But the effect is amazing. Like the color and the texture and the rhythm of it compared to then the other materials in the space. Um, it looks, it looks incredible. Yeah. I mean, it was, and it, it, it turned out better than i was expecting to be honest because with obviously with when you're doing a client's house you do like visualizations and you do you show mm. them how it's going to look in the space whereas with this it was we just uh yeah we just made decisions and then on site as we were doing it and then helped for the best really and so, so it's it was you good it's good you mentioned the before then with the those the two ranging poles that aren't structural um, I noticed that you sort of mentioned that it, you didn't feel that the derelict wall was looking right. So did these things, did you have the luxury then to be able to change things while it's on site and kind of add and tweak as it was going along? Yeah, exactly. So all of the sort of material decisions, we got like a, a outline cost from the builder and then all of the sort of material decisions, colour decisions were made on site just as, mm-hmm. so with a concrete textured wall, we got them to do some samples and that, originally we were going to keep that brick, but then we discovered that the brick was a bit shoddy in that on that wall, so we covered it. And then, it, literally, the ruined wall, we just got a chalk, a bit of chalk, and then drew it out and told them to take the ones above the chalk line out and leave wow. the rest in. So it is a genuine ruined wall, then? There's no kind of... It hasn't been fake made? No, no. So that was the, that's the old uh, back wall of the house. And, yeah, so we there was a French doors... There was like these really small French doors in, I guess you in near the middle of the two poles, um, but yeah, that was the only opening there. And then we just put the beam in above and then took out the bricks below. What was the? Um, I'd love to know what the builder's response was to your kind of instruction to demolish the wall but leave a bit of it and make it look derelict. <laughs> well, he said, uh, I think he said something like, "Oh." Your ideas always seem stupid at first, but then when it's finished, it always looks great. So <laughs> it's, it's a builder that we we use quite a bit on yeah. Can's work, and he's so he's built the 
project we did called Lomax Studio, which is a bit of a uh, quite bold on the outside, sort of mix yeah. of external tiles and this mad sort of steel sculpture shed. But um, yeah, he's used to strange ideas. Yeah. And I'm I'm going to guess it like a lot of architects tell with residential clients, the advice that's always given is don't change your mind on site. It's going to be expensive. Um, were you guilty of that here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably every day. I mean, the, the main thing that was annoying to the builder was the amount of times we changed the colors. Yeah. So the, during the pandemic, we couldn't actually get hold of a Dulux color chart because they stopped making them or the factory closed down. So we were yeah. limited to our color choices by this like heritage color chart I had. Um, but then when we finally got hold of a Dulux, when we basically changed all the colors again, <laughs> so yeah. we, weren't the, uh, we, we weren't a favorite at that time. Um, and then in the in the kitchen space, um, you mentioned earlier about the concrete wall, but it's the, the space is framed on both sides. One side is an exposed brick wall that you've painted in this light turquoise blue color, um, and then there's the textured concrete wall. So again, color texture, it's it's all kind of going on in this space. But maybe if you could tell me a little bit about both these side um, walls, because one side looks quite derelict. It is clearly the existing brick wall that's then been painted. You haven't doesn't look like you've done cosmetic work to tidy it up and make it look like an exposed brick wall so to speak yeah yeah so we just that's the party wall and we just took off the existing plaster and then just just brushed it down and painted it um and then the other wall the concrete wall was when we took the plaster off was in a bit of a worse state and we, we uh, there was um, internal walls going into that so we decided to pebble dash is the wrong word but um yeah cover it in this textured concrete which was mm -hmm. a bit of a risk because we didn't really know what we what, what it was going to look like but i think it works works well i, I guess with yeah. the colors and the colors and the textures we and obviously we, in the in the extension we've got this checkerboard tiling um, yeah. It was the, the approach was more that why can't the walls and why can't the architecture be the feature rather than painting everything white and then adding artwork to it. So the, yeah. the starting point was the the walls of the artwork, I guess. In terms of the colours and the way, like from the interior design perspective, then of this space, did did you plan this out and look at colours that work together, or was it again a bit like the design? Was it were there instinctive moments where it's like painting one wall and then deciding on the next one after the first one had been done? Yeah, it was a bit like that. I mean, and, and this I find quite quite hard this this idea that colours go together, and because mm. they to certain people they do, and certain people they different colors go together so it was um it was just a starting point my this is a bit of a 
split in colour choice between me and my wife. Um, I'm the the red and the blue and the mm-hmm. yellow, so like the bolder colours. And then she came in with the pastel uh, choices. And I think they just work they work well together. And I think if we'd gone mm. either either way, gone all pastel or all bold, it would have been either too much or too little for us. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, I mean, a lot I, of people I probably say it's way, way too much <laughs> for them as it is. But hey. <laughs> well, I think in any any project like this, you're always going to offend certain people's tastes, aren't you? That's the uh, yeah. Um, I mean, some of the com- comments on uh, there's no <laughs> in the Times and some of the comments, uh, yeah, it's just hilarious. Like there was a lot actually. They were saying that like they're never going to be able to sell that. It was all about being able to sell it or mm. money or, and I was just like, well, I just got to enjoy living in the house. I'm new. So, I mean, it's not yeah, and adding value. It's just like, do you want to live in a, in a nice house? Tell and me. it is a house for the occupants. And well, even, even so I'd still see, I could definitely imagine people wanting to buy this house because it's, although there are certain of those sort of features, I suppose one of the bold, very bold ones is about the, the derelict wall, but it's a timeless space in terms of the spaces that are created. They're really good quality spaces, really well lit and they function as a, on a basic level as well as the sort of stunning look. Um, but I couldn't agree more in terms of the colours and this idea that only certain things go together and other things don't. Um, I just think sometimes, particularly with, with houses, that there's a danger of um, people sort of getting nervous and then playing safe by sort of picking something in between that then doesn't yeah. work because it's the safer choice and actually just really go bold and just pick even at least one color, just go for it. Um, yeah, exactly. It, but and you can, and, I, and, and I seem to feel that's happening more with houses. Yeah. And I think it's, and I think fundamentally it, most of these, it's just a paint color. You, if you hate it, you can repaint mm. it. It's not like, it's not like you're knocking down the wall or and And like you say, the, 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 the house is designed. So the space is, work really well and suit our lifestyle and if someone wants to buy it all they have to do really do is to change it is change they can replaster the textured wall they could replaster mm. the brick wall they could change the paint colors the mounting could come off it's just a you know it's just a stuck on facade so it's all very easily changeable and i think the we just wanted the main thing was getting the bones of the house right and just making yeah. sure the spaces were as sort of flexible and um, as much light in them as we could get and just yeah, flexible for our future needs, I guess. And then as we go through the space, if we walk through that kind of archway that you've created, the derelict wall and between the two um, new ranging poles, um, I mean, there again, there's there's references as we've we've had references of like the Matterhorn, um, a roller coaster in Disneyland. You've mentioned about this derelict wall and being inspired by a scene in Train Spotting. I mean, I think you could definitely say there's influences there of um, of the kind of Las Vegas Strip type um, kind of facade designs of these. I mean, there's yeah, that famous yeah, yeah. supermarket that's designed to look like it's fallen apart. Um, yeah, but then best, coming into the extension. Coming into the extension, there's there's high tech references as well. So you've you've now got a very different structure in here. Rather than the big sort of heavy steel beams, you've got these laser cut. Um, I think they're lattice lattice beams that are supporting the ceiling. Um, and I've I've read you sort of mentioning and referencing high tech as an influence as well. Could you maybe tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, well, the so we wanted to, I wanted to express the structure in the 
in the extension and I think it's Hopkins, Hopkins house where they've got these sort of triangulated trusses, um, really sort of lightweight. And I just, and, and this, instead of trying to, um, pick one like overall reference, I just thought, well, mm. this, this, why not just bring these things together and see what it looks like. And by using these, laser cut trusses it allowed the because i guess traditionally you would do a, a timber joisted ceiling um mm. maybe expose it but the centers on between the joists were probably about four, 40 centimeters whereas by exposing the, the lattices that the lattice trusses we could do the centers at 60 centimeters mm-hmm. and obviously they're very thin they're only eight mil thin so that allowed the roof it gave us the extra space by exposing the structure and by running the trusses just straight over the roof light openings um it was also cheaper than what you'd normally do is you know you trim around the yeah uh roof light trim the structure which adds cost so yeah we thought why not and then and, and obviously then, then the trusses triangulate up to meet the head of the door so we get like as max the as maximum um height on the doors and so the trusses are essentially hung from a, a steel beam above the doors yeah hidden. and and the overall effect here is it's making it feel very light isn't it it's a flat roof it's supporting the new flat roof above of this extension but actually yeah. it's it's the thinness of this lattice steel, the slender poles that are supporting it, and then pure kind of glass mostly onto the garden. Um, but then above this, then you've got this kind of heavyweight looking rock formation. Um, yeah. Maybe tell me a little bit about that, about just, I'm interested actually in just how it was, how it was made in the first place. Like what's the, what's the material? So it's a, it's a, aluminium foam sheet so it's basically raw aluminium and when it's uh when they're forming it into sheets it's they uh it's sort of molten and then they pass air bubbles through it and they do it in various bubble sizes so this is like large bubble um and then it's 40 45 mil thick so it's and it's like super lightweight you could lift basically lift that mm-hmm. whole mountain one person it's um it's pretty amazing stuff and they so it comes in sheets and then they water jet cut the mountain from one of our cad drawings um and it's simply just literally glued on a subframe uh, a galvanized subframe which is then attached to the main structure of the extension and so this is quite thin, isn't it? So when you're seeing it from from the garden, it looks like this sort of solid, heavy, massive rock. But actually, it's again kind of reference to Las Vegas type architecture. It's it's a kind of fake stage set kind of look, is it? From yeah, if you saw yeah. it from so behind, it's, yeah, it's it's. Well, I think that we've got there's an aerial photo somewhere on the internet, and you can see it's like super <laughs> super thin. It's only forty five mil thick. Yeah, and. I kind of like that. It's kind of just like the yeah. ridiculousness of it. And um, yeah. And you can see the back of that then from the windows above when you're in the bedrooms upstairs. Yeah. Yeah. And actually from the roof, uh, from inside the extension, you kind of, if you look up through the, one of the roof lights, you can see the peak of the yeah. mountain and it's quite a nice, uh, quite a nice 
tie-in and then yeah so from the bedrooms above you can see the back of the stage set mountain with all of the structure on display and very mm-hmm. um as as it would be in las vegas i guess you know just yeah the the service service zone at the top and then like what i love about this project is just every kind of little detail has been not only thought about but is unique and different and even down to sort of things that could be regarded as pretty boring and you'd never even notice or look at on a house but those bedroom windows or the the upstairs windows you've put new lintels in above them but you've used the smile plastics again so you've got the you've got this sort of textured speckled look um to support the the openings above the windows is that are they actually structural or is that a decorative thing that you've added over there they're just it's just uh so we just use concrete lintels and instead of you know facing them in render or just leaving them concrete um we mm-hmm. i thought why not face them in the same plastic as the as the kitchen and it kind of works in that it's visually it's the kind of um inverse of the aluminium so if you think about the aluminium it's yeah. almost white aluminium with black bubbles and then the plastic is white bubbles the chopping boards with black surrounds yeah so it's kind of the inverse and i thought that worked quite well with the and it's just something different it's just it's, i mean well why why render it when you can put something yeah and that was all kind of like waste from the making the kitchen as well so so again are these kind of i'm interested in understanding are these kind of like again quite in indis- um quite instinctive decisions or or was there a real careful sort of thought process of months of you know what you're talking about a bit about them being the inverse i think uh, a lot of it was um and well as i said before decisions on site but very you know we went for a lot of options rather than just Mm -hmm. that's going to work this is going to work and with that i think with that 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 idea was there fairly early on and with the inverse it, it was just you get a kind of, uh, it's got, got like a marbly, rocky effect. So that always tied in with the, the same, the same of the mountain uh, and mountain material. So the mountain material and the plastics were kind of there from the start. Mm-hmm. I guess, I guess after planning. So for planning, we've just got um, the mountain is actually a textured rough cast textured render render so then yeah. we, we changed it to aluminium after and i i know that a lot of people will be wanting to ask like what was the planning department reaction um when you submitted drawings and described <laughs> i mean did you describe well, it as a mountain or did you kind of well no i didn't lie and hide it a, i didn't describe it as a mountain and um just i didn't lie but we just the very simple planning drawings just drew it as it is and the they did question it they were a bit like they didn't quite understand it and the planner planning officer i mean the main headache he was having is he couldn't understand why it looks like a pitch roof on the back on the back elevation but actually it's a flat mm. roof behind with this fake thing in front of it and then he was saying oh i'm not too sure about it and then two down the street there's two extensions that have got um sort of a dual pitch roofs but offset so if you squint your eyes and look at the back of the mountain (laughs) if you if you imagine the jaggedy tops of the aluminium if they were just two straight lines going to the peak it's like almost exactly the same profile as the extensions down the street 
of their roofs. So that was what my argument was, and he accepted it. So <laughs> it was fine. And so they 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 kind of pushed it through them without any further questions. Yeah, I mean, it, it, as with a lot of planning these days, it's they they haven't got them haven't got loads of time. So they he just pushed it through. <laughs> so it was, I think what's going to happen now is further down the street somebody's going to use you as a reference point but they'll have they'll have the Matterhorn <laughs> yeah. instead and it'll be even yeah, taller yeah. and um, <laughs> uh, you've started something yeah, um, yeah. Well, a lot of the a lot of the comments on the articles as well were oh god what do the neighbors think and all this stuff and then there was quite a good response from someone else who responded to oh i hate to think what the neighbors think they said well if you look at their extensions, you know, they're white plastic PVC. So I don't see how, why that, how that's more, any more contextual than. American. Well, exactly. Yeah. I don't think this, although it's like as from a storytelling point of view, if you say, yeah, there's a mountain at the back, it sounds extreme and it sounds ridiculous, but there's nothing really materially that makes it too different um, or kind of negatively impactful really on anybody it's yeah because we're not and in terms of massing and overlooking there's none there's, there was mm. no contentious bits with that <clears throat> and we're not extending mm. any further than the neighbor has and all of that sort of stuff so but if um if any of your neighbors are listening just um wait until matt puts in uh, for a loft extension that's the, <laughs> yeah. that's the one to I'm look out put, for i'm gonna put it <laughs> under permitted development and because i've already got a mountain on the back i can have a mountain on the top as well um are there any drawings anywhere of uh you trying out this profile on the back of the mountain and trying out various different mountain ranges or did was it pretty easy to settle on annapurna oh well, we i tried i did try quite a few and a varying sort of jaggediness and it's quite hard, it was quite hard to get the sort of how sh how i guess you would say pixelated or you know how like uh accurate the wave is if there were yeah. lots and lots of little ups and downs or whether there was like a uh more of a smooth thing so it did take quite a few iterations um but in the end we just thought i just gotta go for it and actually to yeah. save money on the or to save material we so the back profile was designed and then we it actually runs down the side of the extension as well mm -hmm. um but the they're kind of like the inverse uh the the rest of the sheet so where the line was cut right so we just flipped it over so um that oh. runs a more in response to the anapurna profile on the back yeah but again also an efficient use of material as well and reducing wastage yeah, I mean, yeah, why not use all the material you've paid for? That's what I was thinking. Yeah. And so how long have you been living in the property? We moved in, oh, so we had a bit of a nightmare with the pandemic in terms of delaying the rear doors. So we were supposed to, so the, the construction started in January 2020, and then we were supposed to finish in May 2020, but then the doors got delayed until September. Uh, which was obviously quite frustrating. Um, but we moved in, so my, we had a second baby in time, and then we all moved in in July. So, but the back of the house was all boarded up with plywood, mm -hmm. so we were basically like living in a cave. <laughs> and I think we regretted the rough textured concrete wall at that time because we had <laughs> no view of the garden and quite dark, and all we could have see was this rough textured wall but um yeah then the doors finally came in september so it's finished then 
So you've had a bit of time to sort of settle in four or five months then of relatively complete. Um, I'm just interested to know what it's what it's like to live in the house, but also what you've maybe learnt about architecture, about designing spaces now living in a space that you've designed yourself fully. I think it's just taught me to just, just, you know, just do what you want to do and don't be afraid of, you know, I always say to clients, you know, anything, anything is reference. You don't have to be like, you don't have to have some highfalutin mm. architecture reference or some, you know, there's always this thing of, uh, I think I, I blame John Porson for a lot of things, basically <laughs> this kind of like minimalist white wall sort of default, which is kind of like the aesthetics of the, the gallery le- leaching mm. into everyone's homes. And then, then the home's not actually, um, show not representing the people that live there or their personalities. Um, I've forgotten the original question now on a bit of a rant against course. Well, just what you've, what you've maybe learnt from, I think it's quite a powerful thing, you know, to design a space to live in yourself. It's something you've studied and practiced for years. Um, but then you don't, particularly in my own experience, you never learn as much as you do from just designing and then living with your own, with the consequences of yourself, basically. Yeah. And it's just quite funny because me and my wife always think, well, we, we often discuss what would we do differently. Um, I, and I, I don't think there is much. I mean, maybe the tiles in the in the hallway we might have changed because uh, they were a bit of a pain to do with the with the steps. But apart from that, I, it, everything's been great. I think it's just it's what's been nice about the having the extension is and having it so open plan is that with the, with the two young kids they can just run about and mm. like just all, all their toys everywhere and all that. And yeah, it's just nice to not have. And it's because it's so flexible. We tried to, the only fixed furniture is the kitchen. So we tried to not have any built in furniture just to, tr- to allow that flexibility and see how we use the space before we fix mm. on anything, um, any shelving or any, uh, wardrobes or whatever. Um, but yeah, and, and I, I, but I didn't think we'd be living in it quite so much, <laughs> um, <laughs> as we are. So we've really, uh, yeah, really, it feels like we've been in it two years rather than six months or whatever it is. Yes. Um, you mentioned there, um, John Porson, I think he's come up a couple of times actually on the, on the podcast. I mean, I was, I was, there's a podcast with him where he talks about how he realizes he's not a minimalist himself now with his own house. And, um, <laughs> but just wonder what you've mentioned quite a few influences as well, but if there are any sort of key ones to pull out of, of maybe other architects that have inspired you, um, with your work generally? Well, I think, um, I think it's a mixture of sort of architecture, architects and sort of sculptors, I guess. So mm-hmm. the main architecture references, are, or architecture heroes, if you will, uh, sort of obviously Denise Scott Brown and, uh, Venturi, and then leading on from that more, James Wines of Sight, who, who we talked about earlier, the the best supermarkets, who did the, the with the crumbling brick facades and the yes. I just think those projects are just. I try to stay away from the word po, po, postmodernism, but they're kind of like really good postmodernism because they they don't use bright colours, they don't use they just use a single sort of like really good conceptual idea and just 
mm. hit it on the hit it on the nose and just just really great um and, and very much kind of designed for that car economy isn't it that you can drive by on the dual carriageway and you can see the concept and the story sort of told yeah, instantly exactly. in that like flash the, as you drive like past the, like the angel of the north but you can mm. buy your groceries in it so um and into other references i, I was so in education my tutor for my diploma was sean griffiths of fat who obviously mm. fat uh, super pomo so that i can't deny that they they've had a big influence on my work as well um, yeah i didn't know that that is an interesting link yeah and in terms of and i guess one of my favorite buildings in london is the blue house by fat um which is actually sean's old house i think um it's a super like south park inspired house <laughs> with like a fake house elevation on it and it's just just really cool and at the time, it was sort of like no one had ever done anything like that before. And it was just totally yes. fresh and, you know, unexpected. And uh, are you still in contact with them? Have you, have you had any reaction from former employees yeah, maybe on, on this house? I, I do speak to Sean quite often. Uh, and he he said he liked it. <laughs> Which is always a, a bit of a relief. For, uh, <laughs> we don't say anything, and I'm a bit like, oh, messed up. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So on. what's what's next for you, Matt? What's coming up with the practice? Uh, so we just um, put in a bid for an exhibition at the V&A, uh, which we're waiting to hear at the moment. I think so. There's four four practices to do a new exhibition i can't say what it is i don't think so um and what else we're doing it's just mainly private residential to be honest but what's great about the work coming up is that it's almost the clients have come to us because of this house so Mm. they're really into experimenting with materials and textures and colors and they get the whole thing that the house can represent their personality, whether that's, you know, whether like whatever music they like or whatever films Mm. they watch or it doesn't have to be an architecture reference. So that's really exciting. Are there any Um, really strange references? uh, A client's asked to put like uh, (laughs) a periscope in. I think it was from, I can't remember the exact film, but is where maybe Peter Pan or something like that, where they, uh, he's looking up at the stars. And so this mm-hmm. is like periscope that he wants <laughs> from the kitchen all the way through to the roof. So we can, um, with a telescope on the end to look at stars. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't mean, know t- how I, I, I haven't got into the technical bit of that yet, but yeah. Should be well, good. to bring it full circle to where you were at the, what you're talking about at the start of the interview, that's very John Sohn as well. If you could imagine him, um, <laughs> yeah. him doing exactly. that in his house. Um, oh, we didn't talk so, about the, the the living room. So the living the no, um, yes. yeah, the mad. So the living room is sort of designed this dark blue space, which is like in exact opposition to the rest of the sort of more lighter spaces in the house. Mm-hmm. And it, I guess um, I'm just going to talk about this. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, no, go for it. I did want to ask about because yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I'll describe just very quickly. It's this dark blue room. Um, ceiling, floor, walls, everywhere, even the sofa, the rug. 
Um, but then you've got these ornamental features on on the walls as well that have seemed to me like very much a nod to John Soane's museum of, of bringing kind of classical yeah. architectural features well, and you've just made them features on the wall. Yeah, well, that was, again, a bit of a uh, Mickey take out of the Soane because, uh, as I said, we were doing the Soane exhibition at the time and uh, obviously there it's like amazing. You know, you've got all of these amazing mm. fragments but and they're all very you know, very rare and uh, very expensive, I imagine. And, mm. but the whole space isn't about the individual items. You can go to the space and experience all of these amazing mm. artifacts, but it's all about how they're arranged on the walls and how the space is designed for them. Mm. Um, so we thought, well, what, 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 how can we do that in this sort of re- really cheap way? What is it about the, 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 the Sonian, arrangement it's all about the arrangement it's all about not the artifacts yeah. themselves so i just went down to a local plaster works um just literally five minutes down the road and i just said have you got any have you got any like um failed <laughs> pieces that you you can i can have and he was just like everything you see on the sides on the shelves you can take because we've been trying to clear out for oh, ages amazing. so i literally just got all of these these free uh profiles and cornices and then uh you know bits for ceiling roses and then we just we just literally just arranged them on the wall as we go and see what was the best fit in, in these various arrangements so it's sort of free sonian feature and but i love how they're just painted into the wall as well so everything's painted in the cornicing the skirtings but even all these features as well yeah, yeah, and it's a, it's a similar thing to what I said earlier about the the architecture doing the work rather than having to yes. put paintings on the walls and stuff like that. And would you recommend um, a room like that to listeners of a fully sort of dark blue room? What's yeah, it like? I mean it's it's a great room. So we haven't we've also haven't got any, there's no overhead lighting in there. So it's, all we've got is side lights, and mm. it's great in the evening, just especially this time of year where you. Yeah, there's, we've actually fitted underfloor heating in there as well, so there's no radiators either. And mm. it's just a nice antidote to the rest of the day, you know. It's just, like, nice and cosy. Um, and, yeah, it's just nice chill out. A kind of an Adult antidote to the rest room. of the house as well, in a sense, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, it, and it's a bit more of a nod to the traditional history of the house as well. Slightly. Exactly. <laughs> with a bit of a weird edge <laughs> um okay matt i'm going to bring you then to the three questions that i ask all of my guests um and obviously this is your own home so always a meaner question but what is the one thing that really annoys you in your home the floorboards upstairs <laughs> I mean, this is a really that sort of random thing but they just <laughs> the, we we didn't replace them and because we couldn't afford to so we sanded them back but and i've tried to nail them down as much as i can but with two young kids you're constantly walking around kind of trying to avoid the creaky floorboards um and i realize that's not really that annoying but i think as i said earlier we have yet to find something that is really annoying about the house yeah Um, but all it takes is one little thing like that to be irritating in the house isn't it (laughs) yeah exactly um yeah, I think that's it, really. 
I know that that sounds like I'm just trying to avoid avoid saying I, I you just I yeah you don't want to criticize wrong, your architecture <laughs> I, I I have put some, one thing there's a few light switches be put in the wrong place because it's always hard to to position light switches so we've just yes. covered them up with paint paintings <laughs> um if you could then describe one house that you visited um that's really inspired you and kind of tell me why one house I visited. Ah, I think I've already mentioned it, but I think definitely the Blue House by Fat. Although I've never actually been inside it, I think it is just—it's just an expression of. It's just that why not question. Is it because mm-hmm. you, you obviously obviously architects reference architect uh, architects reference architecture. And London lends itself to a lot of brick, and um, and it's just there is another way, and that's what I think that kind of when I joined Sean's unit, Sean and his Kester Rattenbury as well, uh, joined their unit in Westminster. It just really opened up my eyes to anything as reference, you know, McDonald's, mm. high culture, low culture, whatever you want to do it is all relevant to. Mm. Um, it all can be used as a design approach. And so that building, uh, which is actually in Hackney and yeah, it's an amazing house. You can just walk. So you should, anyone listening should, if they're in London should, uh, go on their daily allotted exercise and have a look at it. Just search blue house Hackney. And if you could then choose any designer to design you a new home, who would you choose? Oh, that is a tricky one. I think um, I think it would have to be James Wines of Sight. He's getting towards the end of his career now, but he's still he was the one who did the best supermarkets. Yeah. Um, and I just I haven't I haven't seen too many houses by him. He mainly does bigger projects or installations uh either him or frank gary if he went back to his early work because his early yeah. work uh, there's, there's a house called uh so that i guess the other house that would has really influenced me although i've never visited it is uh, the winton guest house which is on the outside externally is basically a collection of uh different forms arranged all in different materials but then they kind of all just touch each other and then so internally the the plan is all connected and acts as one space i think that's a really great project so one of those two early frank gary or james wines okay well um matt thank you very much for for joining me today um obviously awesome to talk about the project but also just very refreshing you know to hear your kind of philosophy and architecture and kind of just sort of freeing up from from certain constraints that that maybe do sometimes exist in the profession. Um, but thanks for taking the time to join me today. No problem. It's a pleasure. Thanks very much for inviting me. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to find out more about Can Architecture, then please visit the website at anotherarchitecturepodcast.com where you'll find pictures and links to their work. And try out the podcast Instagram to see work of all my guests and get sneak previews of upcoming guests.
If you enjoyed the episode, then please give me a review on whichever platform you are listening on, as it's a great way to help other people find the podcast and for me to get feedback. I look forward to you joining me for the next episode. And thanks again for listening. Thank you.